are still in the book of 1 Thessalonians. I do demand a recount, though, as far as how long I've been in chapter 5. But, you know, calculating votes is not going well. And, and, and so I don't think that can be trusted either. So, you know, we'll just, we'll just have to see how that goes. But, but, man, it sure is good to see everybody this morning. I'm, I'm glad that you're here. Um, I, let, let's pray as we begin, if we could. Father, we, we come before you, and, and we just want to hear from you. I pray, God, that I would get out of your way, that your word would have free course and be glorified. I pray that we would have come into this place this morning. I pray that we would have come in here uh, with soft hearts, uh, prepared to hear from you, God. I pray that if we haven't, that right now we would all be doing that, and we would just be getting rid of all the distractions all the busyness of the week, all the things that has, have, has gone on throughout the course of this week, and just tuning all of that out and just focusing in and honing in on what you have for us this morning. Please remove those distractions and do a work in our midst. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so last week we covered 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. And what we did was we saw that, it, that in verse 16... In verse 16, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they begin to give us these little quick, rapid-fire commands. They, they, they say, rejoice evermore, and pray without ceasing, Be, in everything give thanks. And, and in each one of these rapid-fire commands or these exhortations, there's not a whole lot of elaborating that goes on in, in the passage. God just hits you with it, and he keeps moving. But we began to see last week that, that despite that, there's so much to learn and there's so much meat on the bone when we just compare the Bible with itself and we compare Scripture with Scripture. And so what we did is, is we went to different places in the Bible that also talk about rejoicing evermore, praying without ceasing and being thankful in all things. Because when you do that, you're able to uncover the depth of these little short statements. And, and, and not only that, or not only are these short statements deep, but these short little statements, they're actually all connected and they're actually intertwined. And so last week we took some time looking at how it was exactly that these three statements that we're studying that all seem to be obscure actually all come together. And we're going to find the same exact thing this morning as we study the next three verses of 1 Thessalonians 5 of of again what seems to be a collection of random thoughts we're going to see again this morning how it's actually all connected and as we continue our study what we're going to see this morning is that first of all we're not to quench the spirit that's what god hits us with next in this passage first thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 19 which is on the screen it says quench not the spirit and so if we're going to be sure to follow this verse and we're going to be sure to, to not quench the Spirit, then it's going to be important for us to have a little refresher on the Holy Spirit and just take a look for a second at, at who He actually is and what it is that the Spirit does. If, if we don't understand that, then this verse probably isn't going to mean a whole lot to us. So, so first, I'd like to remind us of letter A, who the Spirit is. I'd like to remind us of who the Spirit is. Understand, the Holy Spirit is one-third of the Trinity. You realize that, right? The Holy Spirit is God. In Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4 Ananias and Sapphira, they, they lie about what they sold one of their possessions for. And verse 3 says, it, 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 it basically says that they lied to the Holy Ghost. And then verse 4 says, they lied to God. <laughs> and the reason that the Holy Ghost and God are terms that are used synonymously in these verses is because the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit is God. Just like the Father and the Son our God. The Holy Spirit is God too, so the Trinity is comprised of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And, and I don't think there's anybody in this room that wouldn't understand that the Father and the Son 
are God. But the Holy Spirit is the member of the Trinity that oftentimes we can be forgotten and, and misunderstood. So I wanted to just remind us, that's who the Holy Spirit is, y'all. The Holy Spirit, he's God. And so next, let's look at letter B, what the Spirit does. That's who he is, but let's look at, let's look at what he does. If we're going to understand the gravity of the command to not quench the Spirit, then it's important that we understand what it is exactly that's being quenched when we do that. Because there's a whole lot that the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit, y'all, is extremely active. He's got some jobs to do. John 16 and verse 13, it, it teaches us that the Holy Spirit is the one that guides us into all truth. He's referred to in this verse as the spirit of truth. Listen, all of life comes down to what is truth? Right? That's what this comes to. It, it's of the utmost importance, and the spirit is the one that is guiding us into that truth. Every time we walk into this room, the goal is not to get anyone's opinion on anything. The goal is to get to the bottom of what is the truth? What's the truth? And, and, and then understanding that truth should change our lives as we leave and we go back out into the world. Because as has been said, the truth is still the truth, even if no one believes it. And a lie doesn't become the truth, even if everyone believes it. And so it's of the utmost importance that we get to the bottom of what is truth, especially as it relates to matters with Jesus and matters of our eternal destiny. Well, your truth is your truth and my truth is, is my truth. Okay, well, what if my truth says that your truth is a lie? Is my truth still true? You see, it, that whole thing falls apart. Well, as long as you believe in a higher power, it doesn't matter which one you believe in, and you try your best, then I just think we're going to end up in heaven. Well, what, how, how, are, how can you say that? What, what do you base that on? Because Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 teaches us that Jesus is the only name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, and there isn't salvation in any other. So if that's truth, then what you're saying can't also be true. So my point is that the work of the Holy Spirit is of the utmost importance because he's the one that will guide us into all truth. And all of life ultimately comes down to what is truth. We, we, we just saw John 16, 13. And, and then in the next verse, in John 16, 14, we see something else the Holy Spirit does. We, we see that when the Holy Spirit is at work, Jesus is going to be glorified. That's how it works. Jesus, talking about the Holy Spirit, says, He shall glorify me. John 15 and verse 26 says the same thing. In this verse, Jesus says, The Spirit of truth will testify of me. You see, the Holy Spirit is working behind the scenes. He's, he's working behind the scenes to guide us into all truth and to glorify Jesus and, and to testify of Jesus. When the Holy Spirit is at work, it won't be some leader or pastor getting the glory and the shine. No, if the Holy Spirit is at work, he's going to point you to Jesus getting the glory and the shine. Something else the Holy Spirit does is for those of us are, who are saved, he's the agent of our regeneration. John chapter 3 and verse 5, it, it says that, that, that Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. We must be born of the Spirit in order to be saved. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13, it, it says, For by one Spirit... Are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit? Now remember, baptism is, is a 
physical picture of a spiritual reality. This, this verse isn't talking about physical water baptism. It's talking about the spiritual reality that the day we got saved, we were baptized into Jesus' death, we were buried with him and resurrected to walk in newness of life, and the Holy Spirit of God was the one that brought about that new birth and made us a part of God's family. Another thing that we know about the Spirit of God is that He dwells inside of us. 1 Corinthians 6.19 teaches us that our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost because the Holy Ghost is inside of us. Romans 8.9 says the same thing. It says the Spirit of God dwells in us. Something else the Holy Spirit is responsible for is the Holy Spirit seals us. You understand that? Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13 and 14, it says, when we got saved, we were sealed with the Holy Spirit. We were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, and that sealing of the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our salvation. We don't seal ourselves. The Holy Spirit seals us so that we can't get out. And that sealing of the Holy Spirit is so incredibly important to understand because we are in the minority when it comes to believing that you can't lose your salvation. So there will be plenty of people that will be ready and willing to try to talk you out of that one. But we believe exactly what this verse says. We believe that we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. If you can open a seal, it wasn't sealed very good, was it? And you can rest assured when the Holy Spirit of God seals something, that baby is locked down, brother. It isn't going anywhere when it's sealed. We believe that our, our, our works couldn't save us, otherwise Jesus wouldn't have had to die. And so our works certainly can't keep us saved. We couldn't be good enough to get saved. We couldn't be good enough to stay saved. So God applies His grace to us through faith in his work on the cross, and then he seals us by the Holy Spirit until the day that he gives us new bodies that are incapable of sinning. Another thing the Spirit does is, is he testifies that we're a child of God. Romans 8, 16 teaches us, it says, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. The Holy Spirit inside of us, y'all, is that thing in there where you just know in your heart that you've genuinely been saved and that you're a child of God. It's the Holy Spirit resonating with your spirit. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 16, it teaches us that the Holy Spirit is what empowers us to be able to serve God. Our, our inner man is strengthened by the Spirit. Romans 8.26 even says that the Spirit even intercedes for us when we don't know how to pray. Have you ever just been at a loss with a particular situation or a, a circumstance and you're to the point where you just have so much uncertainty that you don't know what to pray for, you don't know how to pray for it? When that happens, the Spirit is the one that intercedes for us even when we're not sure how to pray. John chapter 14 and verse 16. I don't think that we have that. Oh, we do. It shows us that he's the one that gives us comfort in time of need. Have you ever felt a supernatural comfort in time of need? Man, I sure have. And the Holy Spirit is the one that does that so much so that Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the capital C comforter. He is the comforter. And listen, what we've just looked at and what, what we've gone over as we've looked at who the Holy Spirit is and, and what the Holy Spirit does, that's who it is that we're dealing with in this verse this morning in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, which tells us not to quench the Holy Spirit, not to quench the Spirit. That's who we're talking about here. That's what he does. That's what we're talking about, quenching. So that's what the Holy Spirit does, but, but here's what we've been called to do in relation to the Holy Spirit. This is how important it is, how we're to relate to the Holy Spirit. This gives us a little taste of, of, of how important this thing is. 
And, and, and I'm going to hit these real fast and be brief, but I want you to understand the importance of what the Holy Spirit is up to and the job he is doing in our lives, as well as how we're to be relating to him. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16 says we're to walk in the Spirit. Galatians 5.18 says we're to be led of the Spirit. Galatians 5.25 says we're to live in the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 says we're to be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 6.18 says we're to pray in the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 says we're to manifest the fruit of the Spirit. And 1 Peter 4.10 says we're to exercise the gifts of the Spirit. But other than that, the Spirit isn't really a big deal in the Bible. And listen, I, I know I just hit you with a whole lot to chew on, and you're drinking out of a fire hydrant a little bit, but it's important that we understand who the Spirit is and what the Spirit does and how we're to relate to the Spirit so that we understand when the Bible teaches us not to quench the Spirit, we have a handle on what exactly it is that's being quenched. And, and so now that we've seen these things, about the spirit i, I want to make sure that we're all also in the loop on what this thing of of quenching really is this thing of quenching the spirit we, we we understand these things about the spirit now or we're reminded of them but what is quenching the spirit i know we have a, a general idea of, of what that must mean but what is that exactly what quenching the spirit is and, and, and the bible gives us quite a bit of insight into what quenching something is. The, the Bible uses this word in a way that we still use it to this day. The idea is, it's like it's quenching a fire. When we think of quenching, sometimes we think about quenching our thirst. I think Gatorade started that going on us, something like that. But we think of, we think of quenching our thirst, and, and this, is, this is similar, but the idea is that a, a fire is being quenched or a a fire is being extinguished. Numbers 11 in, in verse 2, it, it's the first place we see a form of the word quench in the Bible. And the end of the verse says the, the fire was quenched. And, and the word quench or quenched, it's used 29 times in the Bible. And almost every time it's in, it's in relation to quenching a fire. And, and so here's the way that this thing works. It's as if the day that we got saved and, and the Holy Spirit took up residence inside of us, it's as if there was this fire lit inside of us, that fire being representative of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and so we, we better be aware of what we're doing and we better be sure not to quench that fire because this verse is teaching us we have the ability to quench it. We have the ability to, to throw a wet blanket on that thing and, then, and, and its ability to be able to accomplish what God intended for that fire to accomplish. Like we've already talked about, we, we can't lose our salvation. We have been sealed by the Holy Spirit, so, so quenching the Spirit has, it has nothing to do with that. But we do have the ability to make it to where in practice it's as if we don't even have that fire of the Holy Spirit of God on the inside of us anymore. That's what this whole thing of quenching is. And so we have the ability to quench the, the Spirit, but what is it that causes that? That's what the quenching, this whole thing of quenching is about. But, but, but what causes that? What causes the Spirit to be quenched? In light of what we've seen about the Spirit this morning and, and all the work that the Spirit is responsible to do in our lives, we better get on our radar what it is that causes the Spirit to be quenched. And, and this is actually the, the only place in the Bible where the word quench is specifically used in relation to the Spirit. But I do believe we get some insight into this in, in where, when the Bible describes something similar it, it, it describes this thing multiple times of grieving the Spirit. We, we, we've talked this morning about being sealed with the Spirit and therefore our salvation is eternally secure. 
But in one of the verses where we learn that in Ephesians 4.30, we also learn about this thing of grieving the Spirit. Ephesians 4.30 says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. You understand what he's teaching us in this verse? In other words, because we're sealed with the Holy Spirit of God and, and he's not going anywhere, that means we take him with us wherever we go. That means that any sort of sin we commit, any sort of wrong, any sort of immorality that a believer involves themselves in, they take the Holy Spirit along for the ride, man. And because of that, Ephesians 4.30 says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit or don't make him sorrowful or frustrated or even angry because he'll never leave you. So that means if you involve yourself in some trash you shouldn't be involved in, that means he's coming with you and it grieves him. Mark chapter 3 and verse 5, we, we see that Jesus is, is angry, he's grieved, and, and it's connected to the hardness of the Pharisees' heart. It's connected to hearing truth and being hard or calloused to it or blind to it. And so as a result, their lives are not changed from the truths that they hear. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 17, it talks about God being grieved with the Israelites because of sin. And so what, what happens is, we're grieving the Holy Spirit inside of us because of the sin in our lives that we won't let go of, as well as the hardness of our hearts to receive the truths and do what we know we should be doing. And what happens is, is, is we reach this point where the Holy Spirit of God inside of us is grieved and he's frustrated and he's sorrowful and he begins to be quenched. That's how we quench the Spirit is through sin and through hardness of heart. The fire of the Holy Spirit, man, it wants to burn. It wants to, it wants to flame inside of us so that He can accomplish all those things that we talked about this morning. All these things the Bible teaches us. That's what the Holy Spirit desires to accomplish in our lives. But sinfulness and hard calloused hearts in response to the working of the holy spirit in our lives it's like taking a bucket full of water and saying no a bucket full of water no and you're pouring it on that fire the spirit's still there but he's quenched because for all practical purposes it's like he's not there because you always tell him no because our lives are telling him he might as well not even be there because I'm going to do what I want to do regardless of what you're telling me. It, it, it's kind of like this. We, we've recently talked in here about the, the armor of God in, in the past couple months or so. You, and do you remember what the purpose of the armor of God is? According to Ephesians 6, 11, it's to stand against the wiles or to stand against the attacks of the devil and do you remember what the shield of faith was specifically for it had a very specific purpose according to ephesians 6 16 it, it it says that the purpose of it was to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked we and again we see this we see this word quench and it's related to fire again but but do you see how it works we, when, we, when we covered this ground before, I told you that the armor of God, it doesn't keep you from getting shot at and hit. It protects you when you do get shot at and hit. And if we have the shield of faith, we can quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Listen, the fiery darts are still there. They're still coming, but we can quench them so that from a practical standpoint, it's as if they aren't even there. You see where I'm going with this? It works the same way with quenching the fire of the Holy Spirit inside of us. When we quench the Spirit, it isn't that the Spirit leaves us or that we lose our salvation. It's that the fire of the Holy Spirit is quenched so that from a practical standpoint, it's as if the Spirit isn't even there. And so do you understand what a problem it is when we quench the Holy Spirit of God in our lives? 
we're quenching the Holy Spirit and all the work that God intends for the Holy Spirit to do in our lives. Because we've already seen all that the Holy Spirit was put inside of us to accomplish. It's no small thing. This is nothing to play with. We're quenching the one that guides us into all truth and teaches us the Bible. We're quenching the one that glorifies and testifies of Jesus. We're quenching the one that God used as the agent of regeneration when we got saved. We're quenching the one that dwells inside of us, that's supposed to be at home inside of us. We're quenching the one that has sealed us and will never leave us. We're quenching the one that empowers us to serve God. We're quenching the one that confirms to us that we're saved. We're quenching the one that makes intercession for us when we don't know how to pray. And we're quenching the one that we've been called to walk in, be led of, live in, be filled with, pray in, manifest the fruit of, and exercise the gifts of. Do you understand how big of a problem that is? The Spirit won't do all He desires to do in our lives when we're quenching Him. And so if you're lacking in your spiritual life and you don't have the fire that you used to, Maybe it's because you've been quenching the Spirit. Maybe it's because of sin that you need to get out of your life. Maybe it's because you've been hard and callous to the truth you are receiving. When we have sin in our lives and and we become callous to the truths that we're being confronted with, the Spirit is grieved and ultimately quenched. And God won't work through the Spirit then to accomplish all He intends to accomplish through our lives and that voice inside of us that gets it gets a lot quieter because we're not listening anyway quenching it is taking water and saying no submission to the lord is giving god an unqualified yes before we even hear it lord the answer is yes and 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 there may be some here today that that they're grieving the spirit in a different way You see, you're you're grieving the Spirit or resisting the Spirit because though the Spirit has drawn you and stirred in your heart for your need to be saved, you keep rejecting and resisting. When, When Stephen is presenting the truth about Jesus to the religious leaders of the day in Acts 7, 51, he describes them like this. He says, ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. And there may be people like that in here this morning. The Holy Spirit of God doesn't live on the inside of you because you keep pushing back. And if that's you, I'm telling you, you are playing a dangerous game. According to John 16 and verse 8, part of the Holy Spirit's job is to reprove, it's to convict you of your sin and of God's righteousness and of the judgment to come. And and there may be some in here today that have been rejecting that reproving and that that convicting. And the reality is you don't know when the Holy Spirit is going to stop drawing you and you don't know when you'll draw your last breath. I'm begging you, stop resisting the Spirit while there's still time. These four words, quench not the Spirit from 1 Thessalonians 5.19. Man, they quack. They quack. They pack. (laughs) They quack quite a punch. They pack quite a punch. And then next from there, Paul, Silas, and Timothy continue giving these quick exhortations and and admonitions, and they tell us we're not to despise prophesying. We're not to despise prophesying. In 1 Thessalonians 5.20, it says, despise not prophesying. So so what are we supposed to do with this word prophesying? You you know what we're going to do with it? I hope you know. We're going to do what we always do with it. And we're going to, you, you, you regularly hear from me, and you have regularly heard from Corey for many years that the Bible is a self-defining book. We're going to do what we always do, and we're going to go to the Bible and see how the Bible uses this word here in just a minute. Now, normally, when we hear this thing of prophesying, we, we, 
we, we think of somebody that's, that's foretelling the future. And, and when the Bible uses this word, there are certainly times when that is exactly what's happening. Future events are being foretold. But what is always included and what is always inferred with the biblical use of this word is forthtelling. Prophecy is, is forthtelling the truth of the word of God. It's telling forth and proclaiming the truth about what God says. So prophecy is always forthtelling the truth of the word of God. It's not always foretelling future events. In its most basic form of the word, prophecy, it's forthtelling the truth of the word of God or forthtelling a message from God. So sometimes prophecy is foretelling. It's always forthtelling, but it's not to be confused with fortune telling. This is not some sort of nonsense when someone comes to someone else with a word that they received from the Lord and God wanted me to tell you that you're going to receive a blessing this week. No, it's not fortune telling. It, 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 it's hard to understand why these groups keep looking for another word from the Lord when God already gave us his completed word that we're not to add to or not to take away from, which contains all that we need for life and godliness. So why do we keep looking other places for it, man? It's all right there. But biblical New Testament prophesying, it, it's, it's actually, it's what I'm doing right now. I'm, I'm speaking forth to you the truth from the word of God. In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 19, God even uses the word prophecy to show you that it's, it's the equivalent of scripture we we talk about this verse a, a good bit because of this incredible truth in it regarding the word of god peter peter's talking about the mount of transfiguration if you recall that story where jesus was transfigured in front of peter james and john and and in this moment they actually hear the audible voice of god and referring to the audible voice of god peter says in verse 19 we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So what we have in our hands in the written word of God is more sure than the audible voice of God according to this verse. But what I want you to see is the word of prophecy from verse 19, according to verse 20, is the scripture. Peter calls it the prophecy of the scripture because scripture is prophecy according to verse 21 we can see that the prophecy which was scripture came from holy men that were speaking god's word they spake as they were moved by the holy ghost they spoke and then it was written down but the point is is that prophecy is described here the same way we just described it it's the forth telling or the speaking of god's truth or god's word the the end of revelation chapter 19 and verse 10 it it says that that at the at the end of the verse it says the testimony of jesus is the spirit of prophecy you see those that believe we have the testimony of jesus in other words we have been saved by the blood of Jesus, and that testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Testifying of the truth of the gospel that saved us is the spirit of prophecy. And again, it's not linked here to telling future events, but to testifying of the truth of the word of God. And in our verse here in 1 Thessalonians 5.20, it tells us we're not to despise that. We're not to despise those prophesying. So we're not to despise the proclamation of God's word. 
We're not to despise what we're doing right now. We tend to use the word despise kind of like we use the word hate. But, but God defines it, uses it more as regard it as nothing. Minimize it. Esteem it very little. It's something that has very little value or importance in your life. God's teaching us, he says, make sure the proclamation of God's word doesn't have little value to you. Make sure we recognize, he wants to make sure we recognize that the proclamation of God's word has importance. God's saying, make sure you don't treat what goes on in here on Sunday mornings as something casual that you're there when you can. And if you're not busy, don't treat it like that, man. Don't minimize that time that's set aside to proclaim the truth of God's word. Because here's how it works. The Spirit of God that we've spent a good bit of time talking about this morning, the Spirit of God is working in conjunction with the proclamation of the Word of God. You understand that? The Spirit of God is responding to the Word of God. Remember what we, what we saw earlier in John 16, 13? That the Spirit is guiding us into all truth? What is truth? The next chapter in John 17, 17 says, Thy word is truth. You see, the Spirit of God responds to the truth, which is the word of God, and that's how the Spirit works. He works in conjunction with the word of God. Remember, right after John 16, 13, we saw where it says the Spirit won't speak of himself. And in John 16, 14, he says, Jesus says the Spirit is going to glorify him. The Spirit will glorify Jesus. Who's Jesus? Oh, that's right. Jesus is the incarnate Word. We now have the written Word of God. And again, it shows the Holy Spirit is working in conjunction with the Word of God. And so you know what another way that we quench the Spirit is that we haven't looked at yet? If the Spirit is working in conjunction with and doing a work in response to the Word of God, then we can, we can quench the Spirit by despising prophecy. We quench the Spirit by minimizing or giving little value to the proclamation of the Word of God because the Spirit wants to do a work in us, but He's going to do that work in response to the Word of God. So it's important that we don't minimize the proclamation of the word of God and then next in our passage this morning we see that number three it says that we're to we're to prove all things we're to prove all things first Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 21 it, it says exactly that prove all things that's what the first part of the verse says we're to we're to prove all things or we're to examine them to see whether they be true we're to test them and and to use discernment. Now, now, based upon the context of where this verse is located, which is on the heels of Paul making a reference to the preaching of God's word, based on that, I believe it's extremely important for us to note and for me to reiterate something again that you have heard said and will always hear said from this pulpit as long as the current leadership has anything to say about it, which is, don't take my word for anything, but go out and study it for yourself and see if I'm telling you the truth. In other words, prove all things. Prove and examine that what I'm telling you is the truth. Prove and examine what anyone that claims to be proclaiming the word of God is saying. Prove that out to be true. First John chapter 4 in verse 1, it says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. And if there were many false prophets gone out into the world back then, how many you reckon we got on our hands right about now? When, when you understand that Satan isn't hiding in the clubs and bars and houses of prostitution. He's not worried about them. He's got them right where he wants them. But when we understand that Satan isn't hiding there, but he's hiding in religion, 
when the light bulb starts coming on. He, he, like Corey said on Wednesday night, the Satanists that open up, the, that are opening up random houses of worship, they're not our biggest problem in the slightest. Our biggest problem are those that come in the name of Jesus that use Bible verses out of context to justify their beliefs, but it's off just enough to get you on the path to hell. 2 Timothy 3.13, it, it says, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. The later it gets in the night, y'all, the worse it's going to get, and people are being seduced. People are being deceived. And so it's of the utmost importance that we prove all things. That's why we make such a big deal around here about studying your Bible, uh, about how we approach the Bible, about keys of Bible study. You see, our goal in here is never, ever to take the word out of your hands and make you think that you got to be something special to get what we're getting up here. No, the point is, is that we're putting the Bible in your hands and we're saying, don't take our word for it. Go study it. We've given you the tools to how to study the Bible for yourself. You should be able to come around to these same conclusions. Me and Corey don't collaborate on our beliefs and because we approach the bible the same way we end up landing in essentially all the exact same positions <laughs> you see <laughs> and, and it's because the approach to the bible is the same you end up in the same places because you understand the truth of the word of god you understand how god put the bible together and how he designed it to be studied but like i mentioned earlier y'all all of life comes back to what is the truth so we better prove things out and you better figure out then what the truth is if it's not what i'm saying okay cool what is it you better figure out what it is if it's not this there's a lot of people saying a lot of different things and they can't all be true so we're to prove it out and see if what's being said is that truth or not and, and then next in our passage number four we're to we're to hold fast that which is good. We're to hold fast that which is good. That's what the second half of verse 21 of 1 Thessalonians 5 says. Hold fast that which is good. Once you have proven that what is being proclaimed from the word of God is true through study and through the spirit guiding you in all truth, then you better hold on tight to it. Hang on to that truth, because once you've proven it to be true, hold on tight. Make sure you possess it, and you don't let that thing go. When the Word of God is proclaimed, and, and through that study in the Spirit, you prove what's being said is true, hold on tight, man, because the proclamation of truth is a very rare commodity in modern times. So when you hear it, you better hang on tight, buckle up. In Acts chapter 11 and verse 23, when Barnabas came to the church at Antioch, he said he, he came and he had seen the grace of God, was glad, exhorted them all, and that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. We got to cleave unto the Lord. We got to hold on tight to that which is good, which comes from the Lord. Proverbs 6 21 says, Here's what you do with truths when you find teachings which are good you bind them continually upon thine heart. And tie them about thy neck. When thou goest, it shall lead thee. When thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. And when thou awakest, it shall talk with thee. And all through the Bible, we see that when you receive truth from the word of God that's proven to be true, man, you hang on tight to that thing. Now, that, that, that doesn't mean, all right, I've, I've, I've gotten some truth. And now I'm going to hold on to it and I'll never let it slip my mind. I mean, over the last few weeks, man, I learned some things. I learned that I'm to live peaceably with all men. I learned the last few weeks that I'm to, to warn the unruly and to comfort the, the feeble-minded. I'm to support the weak and I'm to be patient to all men. I know now that I'm not to render evil for evil to any man, but that I'm to follow that which is good. I, I learned that I'm to rejoice evermore and pray without ceasing and give thanks in everything. 
Let me just tell you, I have been listening over the last few weeks, and I'm going to remember these truths. This noggin of mine is a steel trap, brother. (laughs) Is that what holding fast the Word of God means? You hold it in your memory banks? No, it's where we possess it in our lives. We take hold of it in our lives. We actually do it. It isn't about what we know. Knowledge is useless if it's not put into practice. It's actually worse than useless because do you realize knowledge can be a bad thing? It's not just that it doesn't do you any good if you have knowledge and don't use it. No, if you don't put it into practice, it can actually be bad. 1 Corinthians 8.1, it says knowledge puffeth up. Knowledge can make you proud. Isn't that great? We know so much truth about the Word of God. No, it actually isn't if we're not putting it into practice. It's not great. A lot of us have filed a lot of things away through the years in our memory banks. It's just that we're still not applying them, and we're struggling with the same thing right now that we were struggling with a year ago at this time. And God's saying to us, once we've proven the proclamation of God's word to be true, we better hold it fast. We better get it into our lives, not just our minds. And so so listen, just like last week, we we, we took what appeared to be a a handful of, of rapid fire, randomly disconnected practical exhortations, and we took them all and we saw how they actually all fit together and we're going to do the same thing this week this these exhortations and these admonitions that we've looked at this morning these things they're they're not random we've already connected some of some of this already but here's how it all comes together we make absolutely certain that that there's nothing in our lives that would be quenching the spirit and, and all the work that the holy spirit is intended to do in our lives And we understand that the way that the Spirit of God works, it's in conjunction with the Word of God. And and, and that the Spirit is responding to the Word and doing a work in our lives. And, And understanding that, it should cause us to not minimize the proclamation of the Word of God. And it gives us the proper perspective on the proclamation of the Word of God. And we elevate it to its proper place of priority. And as we're listening to the proclamation of the word, what we're doing is we're proving all things. We're discerning and examining whether these things be true and whether these things be good. And as we prove what's been proclaimed from God's word to be true, we hold that thing fast once we find it to be true. We don't let go of it. We fully possess it, not where it's simply in our minds, but to where we apply these truths in our lives and we hold on to them tenaciously instead of ignoring them so that we don't quench the spirit through the hardness of our hearts that's what god's teaching us in those three little short verses and so let me ask you how many of you are throwing water on the fire of the spirit of god in your life hey listen Every time you walk into this room and the truth of God is presented to you and your answer is no and you walk out the back door the same person you came in, you're filling up another bucket of water and you're walking over to the fire of the Holy Spirit that's inside of you and you're dumping another bucket on it. And you have fallout in your life and you don't know why. And maybe it's because the spirit can't do what he desires to do because you're grieving him and you're quenching him. Let me ask you like this. We're closing in on the end of this book here in another three or four months now for these (laughs) last verses. We're, We're closing in. Could you go back through this book? And walk someone through the chapters of this book and tell them, yes, this was the spot here, chapter 1 in this verse. Right here, God was starting to do a work in my heart. And that changed my life because of that. 
And then over here in, in chapter two, I realized this or that about my life. And, and so I changed and I turned my feet and I started walking towards that truth. And I stopped doing this and I started doing that and so on and so on. Can you go through the book and do that? You not go back through the book and, and, and talk about all the things that you filed away in your memory over the, over the last 10, 11 months. Go through the book and talk about the things you put into practice. That was good. I learned some things. I took some notes. I felt convicted. What's for lunch? Would you listen to the Holy Spirit this morning and stop quenching him don't quench him any longer otherwise that voice is getting quieter and quieter man what if we just hold fast to that which is good that fire of the holy spirit man it's going to be able to burn bright and accomplish all of those things that we looked at this morning that the spirit desires to accomplish in our life father i i, I pray god that we would have a soft heart to the truth of your word god if this isn't truth we need to figure out what is. I'm banking everything on it. I believe it to be true, and I don't believe it to be blind faith. You've proven yourself time and time again, prophetically through your word, countless times through your resurrection, and through the work that you're doing in our lives and that you're going to continue to do in our lives. And I pray, God, that you would just, you would just soften our hearts. Lord, would we listen to your truth? And not just let it be another Sunday sermon, you know, another few practical applications. God, would it really change things, God? Would we be submissive to the Spirit? Would we not quench the Spirit and continue to live our lives in sin and continue to live our lives callous to truths that we've heard over and over again, these truths, and we become callous to them, God? Would you help us to not be calloused anymore and to stop throwing water on that fire? Help that thing to burn bright, God. You want to do things in our lives and through our lives, and we're our own worst enemy. I pray, God, that wouldn't be the case, and we love you. In your name we pray, amen.